Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Rickard. And I'm Tracy Sullivan, and we're the career coaches of Fisher. All right. We are thrilled to welcome a special guest today. Ashley George is the current diversity recruitment manager and former early talent and diversity program manager at Paychex. She holds an undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's degree in human resources management. Ashley is a board member for the Center for Youth and Girls on the Run of Greater Rochester. And she's also a board member of the St. John Fisher University Employer Advisory Board. So we're so excited to have you, Ashley. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yes. So I think what I was uh, planning on starting with was a question about your career path. And if you could tell us and the listeners a little bit more about your journey and what led you to the role that you're currently in. Yeah, of course. I'll try to uh, sum it up the best I can. I originally uh, was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And through a scholarship and partnership program with my high school, that's actually where I found out more about Rochester because I initially did not know that the city uh, existed. No, nothing Uh, above Westchester, right? (laughs) Right. I know. Yeah, nothing there. I had the honor of, you know, being able to take a tour of Nazareth University now. You know, I fell in love with the campus and decided to move forth with going to college at NAS. And, you know, as I think about where I connected DEI work and realized that this was a passion of mine, I think it probably occurred within my first two years as a student. So, you know, coming from what I consider more of a melting pot um, of a, you know, city and location to Rochester, specifically Pittsburgh, New York, I think I was definitely shocked, I think, Mm -hmm. by the dissonance of of different spaces, geography-wise and just culturally. And I remember, you know, seeking for ways to kind of get engaged and, and do some work. And so I signed up to do some volunteer work with a department called Partners for Serving at that time. And with that department, a lot of students went off site and off campus to do volunteer work in the city of Rochester. I remember being very confused, I'll say. Um, and, And this is my lack of knowledge in terms of not having a car, you know, anything. So when I came to Nazareth, Nazareth was my home, right? That was my space and my area. So I wasn't aware of, you know, all the different towns and all the different areas within. And so I think, you know, traveling to the inner city and doing homework help with some of the kids or doing just additional activities made me a lot more cognizant of the disparity, uh, you know, traveling from Pittsburgh, New York to the city of Rochester. It felt segregated to me. Mm -hmm. And I was confused about that. I, I didn't understand why. And I remember going back on campus and connecting with the director for DEI at that time and just kind of talking through what I just experienced and not necessarily understanding it and why structurally I think, you know, the city was how it was and and all of these things. So I think that's where it began for me. And, And after that, I mean, I continued a lot of my volunteer work with that department, but then I moved on to work at the DEI office as a student worker, moving into uh, some other leadership roles on the UA at Nazareth, and then working at NAS once I graduated in 2018. So I moved into a role as coordinator for diversity and inclusion. So I did a lot of work directly with students in just like programming, you know, heritage months, history months. And then about a year after that, I got promoted to assistant director 
And that was a very cool opportunity because I got to engage with faculty. I had the opportunity to be a little bit more structural in the work. So in addition to programming, I had the opportunity to do trainings and consult a lot of our faculty and staff around inclusive practices and processes and ways we could be more mindful of our curriculum, you know, to include voices maybe that aren't currently present and to just be mindful of of those nuances. So that was great. I got my grad degree and after my degree, I just, I think I was just looking for something new. You know, Um, I wanted to work a little bit more intentionally in HR and it felt like I was also at Nazareth for forever. So it was also... (laughs) You know, just wanting to explore beyond. And and that's where I ended up at Paychex, connected through a mentor of mine that I met at a couple of other engagements. And that's, you know, where the journey really got pushed forth in terms of HR and working a little bit more structurally with the DEI. Thanks so much, Ashley. This is Tracy. And I have to say that I appreciate you sharing that. And I love how your journey includes the activities and the student work that you did at Nazareth mm-hmm. and also how, how important networking, networking is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those who might be new to the concept, could you please provide just a brief overview of what diversity, equity, and inclusion means in the context of the workplace and why it's so crucial for organizations to prioritize DEI initiatives? So DEI, and I know it's um, a relatively new floating term, stands Mm -hmm. for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's really a framework that I think can be applied throughout any business, any field, any industry. It really is a, it's, it's a human case. It's a human case that leads into a business case. I'm going to quote McKinsey and Company. I actually just uh, completed a program with them, and I love the way they broke it down. According to this group, when you think about DEI, it really encompasses equality, openness, and belonging. Those are the three tiers. So when we think about equality or equity, for lack of better words, this refers to uh, accommodations, right? Aligning to the needs of others. So fairness and transparency and pay equitable pay, equitable and inclusive recruitment, promotion opportunities, access to resources. And then when we think about openness, this refers to general workplace culture, right? So ensuring that we're trying our very best day in and day out to treat folks with respect, being mindful of our own bias, being mindful of, you know, where discrimination may or may not be present, and just being mindful in general when it comes to our interactions with each other, ensuring that we are not causing harm, but if anything, are looking for ways to restore harm and just work a little bit more cohesively together. And then another tier of DEI is really belonging. So, general sense of community, right? Um, It encourages people of all backgrounds to have the uh, safety and space of trust to share their insights, you know, in terms of their personal experiences, in terms of their talents, and just to generally know that their voice is heard, right? Their input is valued by their co-workers, their leaders, and just their organization as whole. That's how I'd sum up in general what DEI means in the context of the workplace. And, you know, when it comes to its its importance and why it is valuable, I always have to bring it to it's a human case, right? Obviously, businesses can talk about ways in which DEI promotes creativity, promotes productivity, innovation levels. We know that it 
It encourages retention, right? It's it's very expensive to uh, lose good talent. It's very expensive to lose good employees, you know, to find and, and search for new folks. So we know that it leads to better retention rates, but it's it's really a human case. It's what we're supposed to do. It's, it's the good thing to do. I love that phrase that it really boils down to being a human case. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, the next question is just around maybe some common challenges that students might face when entering the workforce, specifically students of color, those with disabilities, and the LGBTQ uh, community. So how can these challenges be addressed by both the individual and the employers? One thing I will start off by saying is when we think about those groups and identities and others, we know that their navigation looks differently, right? And the individual with, you know, diverse abilities compared to someone that aligns with being someone of color, the navigation and journey looks completely different. However, when I think about common challenges on a larger front, I think these challenges could be more so structural. You know, there is going to be the chance that the company that you hope to join is not ready for you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a real challenge. And a company not being ready for you looks different in different structural ways. It may mean that they may not know how to engage with you. You know, they may not necessarily know how to provide you a equitable employee experience, right? What does your day in and day out look like? Do you need to have, you know, technology that allows you to get closed captioning for a lot of the videos you're watching? Or are they able to meet your benefit needs in terms of medical, you know, dental support, whatever that looks like? So I think it looks different, but it all comes down to the company not being ready for you. And unfortunately, when we think about marginalized identities, sometimes you, you're not always given the floor in speaking your truth, right? A lot of times with folks of, of marginalized identities, we are not really given the opportunity to, to speak on what we need, speak on what, what would help us in our navigation through a workplace, you know, a friendship, whatever the case may be. So I think you've got to empower yourself to gauge what your needs are. You need to discover those needs and you need to put your foot down with those needs. As you browse positions, apply to positions, interview for positions, you need to make it very clear what it is you need from that employer and from that organization. There's been a few times, even at my current role at Paychex, I've connected personally with candidates who connected with the recruiter and For them to get a better sense of culture with the company, they wanted to speak to other employees, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to speak to folks who didn't have the job of, you know, bringing you in. They wanted to know what the experience was of, you know, the everyday employee. And you have every right to ask for that. You have every right to prioritize that and make sure that you're giving, you know, your 40 plus work hours a week to an employer and organization that aligns with you, that can meet your need and uh, work at least to get you where you need to go as as a human being and, and as an employee. Yeah, I think what really stands out to me is the empowerment and yes. the advocacy of the individual. And a part of advocacy is effective communication, which is key in any workplace. How can mm-hmm. students of color and white students best prepare to navigate cross-cultural communication challenges in a diverse environment? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, and, and I think this question 
definitely can target, you know, students of color and white students. But honestly, I think this is going to be some good advice for folks across difference in general. Mm -hmm. I think in order to be fully present for each other, it's also accepting that people will get things wrong, right? Yeah. You know, knowing you both in the land of academia, learning, this is an ongoing thing, right? Um, Imperfection, that's a part of humanity. It's a part of being human. It's a part of learning and it's a part of growing. And so I think accepting that people will get things wrong and finding ways to call each other in is definitely a way you can at least nurture each other, you know, nurture the person who's willing to learn, but is definitely bound to make mistakes from time to time again. And I say calling each other in and not calling each other out because when we say calling each other out, it usually targets the person and not the thing that maybe they said. So it targets the person and not maybe the theory. And so we want to make sure we're not targeting the person. We're, we're just targeting maybe what you said and maybe the way it was said. So it's very important that before we think about engaging in these difficult or challenging conversations, we understand internally how we can hold each other accountable without also preventing someone's growth. Yes. I think a lot of times intent and knowing that the intent is not negative is really important. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, a big part of it too is a lot of introspective work. So when I think about DEI, I think before we learn how to best connect with each other, I think it's important we learn as much as we can about ourselves. And when you think about theories such as, you know, the cycle of socialization, you become more aware of in what ways were you socialized around race? In what ways were you conditioned around race? Where do these thoughts come from? Where does this fear come from? What am I willing to learn? What am I willing to unlearn? I think there's a lot of internal work that needs to be done before you kind of jump into something that could potentially uh, end up harmful for both parties. Exactly. Yeah, and I and I think our next question around allyship is something we really wanted to bring up because it is important for creating an inclusive workplace. So how can students become allies and advocates for their colleagues from underrepresented backgrounds? I think self-awareness is key. The more self-aware you are, I think it's critical to creating, you know, those intentional and effective change efforts. We need to be a little bit more understanding of our own experiences. We need to validate those experiences and then gauge what our intentions are moving forward. What are intentions? What's our strength and limitations? What are you willing to contribute to allyship? What are you willing to contribute to advocate work? I think that's going to be a big thing too. When we reflect on, I'd say the uprising or the emphasis of racial tensions at the start of COVID, right? 2020, 2021. I think a lot of folks recognize where their limitations may have been, right? You had some folks that had the capacity to protest, but some folks didn't, right? Because their needs look different in terms of, you know, physical health and and being able to. Some folks had, you know, children at home who weren't in school, so they couldn't be out on the streets and protest, but they found other ways. They found other ways to connect with others. They found other ways to educate themselves, Whatever that looks like, I think it's very important we identify what our capacity is. Our capacity looks different, and it's important that we don't look at it as the work to be measured, right? You can't necessarily measure this work. It's just finding ways that align with you and your personal circumstance and and kind of going after that. So 
being intentional with your needs, where you are, making sure that your intent is authentic and pure. I think that's kind of the starting place of approaching this. When I hear that and I think about self-awareness, which is, you know, key in just almost every aspect of life. And when you think about growth and learning, you also have to learn how to manage that feeling of discomfort that comes along with learning. And that's kind of what I think a lot of people have work to do on, like being okay with feeling uncomfortable. And I think, you know, getting to the root of what exactly about this makes you uncomfortable. Right. I think knowing what it is exactly will definitely help you, you know, just like uh, apply it to how you move forward. So for me, it's always like getting to the root. The root, I think, will provide a lot more answers than, you know, the assumptions or trying to keep steamrolling and going because then you end up once again creating more harms. Emotional intelligence is, is for sure key. I know in my own journey that where most of my growth and learning came from was from having outstanding mentors yes. walking me through it. So how can students, you know, in your opinion, leverage mentorship opportunities to enhance their own understanding? I know I get a lot of questions of like, how do I get a mentor? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you, and you had mentioned that as well in your own experience connecting with, um, you know, your director at NAS. Uh, and so it, it maybe some advice for students about how to, you know, create those connections. Yeah. And, you know, this is something I think will look different for a lot of folks, right? Based off of personality types, I can honestly say I'm definitely a lot more extroverted. And, you know, it definitely shows in terms of how I reach out to people and connect with folks. For students who may be listening to this episode, I'll definitely say that you're on a campus full of mentors, right? You're on a campus full of professionals who have had years in the game. They have had years in expanding their capacity around their profession. In general, the folks around you on campus have experienced life, and they're also connected to a lot of other folks as well. And so I think a lot of it when it comes to mentorship is being vulnerable, being very uh, open on if you just don't know what next steps look like, being open and honest on that. I think folks connect to vulnerability and are able to really ensure that they meet you where you are. For me at NAS, a lot of mentorship came from a lot of work, like leadership opportunities and, you know, wanting to be a part of the UA and being an RA and all of these things and being able to connect to the staff and folks a part of it. But a lot of it was also proactive outreach. I remember when I started undergrad and I started off as a bio major. And I don't know who told me to do that because that was not very fitting for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I'm like, I need help. I don't know what to do. And long story short, I ended up uh, with that psychology major, but I also had an HR minor and realizing, you know, maybe I should connect with one of the professors. You know, I, I've seen her in the hallway. She smiles at me. She seems pretty inviting. Like, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to, you know, reach out to her, stop in her office, set up a meeting. And due to my network with her, that's, it's just so funny thinking about the timeline of things. You know, she's the one who informed me of all of these different HR organizations I could become a part of. She even brought up to me the intersection of organizations. So, you know, knowing that 
if you are an HR professional, you could probably find an org that caters or is geared towards African-American HR professionals, right? Because that journey looks different. Different intersections of organizations, you can find, you know, a, a community there that can provide you the resources you need as this specific kind of you know, individual in this specific kind of industry. So she connected me with all of these resources. That's how I met my mentor at Paychex. And that's literally how, you know, I got connected to opportunities at Paychex. So being bold, being vulnerable, and just being honest, you know, what are your needs? What do you need? And, you know, developing that relationship over time to ensure that that person gets to know you and gets to know how they can best tailor their support for you. I, I love all of this mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, Tracy and I have been doing this podcast now for a, a year. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like everything that you just said is like a culmination of all of our episodes. It is talking about taking advantage of your faculty, your connections on campus, getting involved in how these things have shaped your career and trajectory that might not have happened had you just like not sent an email or, mm-hmm. you know, not made that connection. And so I really, really even appreciate that. that switch yes, from psychology. Yeah. We talk yeah. about all of these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we thank you so much for sharing your insights on, on this important topic. Um, but before we wrap up, um, could you share any initiatives that are at least give a plug maybe for paychecks and on what you're implementing or what you have implemented at paychecks surrounding DEI? Yeah. And there's so many, Jamie, I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. So I'm not sure if I kind of spoke of my role specifically at Paychex, but I do sit in our talent acquisition and onboarding department. As the diversity recruitment manager, I like to say I play a consultant to talent acquisition, the business around how we could best diversify our company. And then I partner with folks on our DEI and employee experience team to really market all of the things we do internally, really show that ethically we can offer you what you need to have a, you know, um, a flourishing experience and an inclusive experience. I'd say on the talent acquisition level, I mean, a lot includes education and awareness. So training our recruiters, our hiring managers, et cetera, around ways bias and discrimination shows up in recruiting and hiring, you know, assumptions versus facts, soft skills versus hard skills, all of those things. How, how does that show up and how can you be more inclusive as you engage with candidates across the world? Some other things include our collegiate connections, right? So knowing that this generation, you know, identity is age, right? So we want to be mindful of early talent, early careers, making sure we're diversifying our company with early talent and folks just getting started in their career. A lot of our college connections, internships, co-ops, new partnerships with historically black colleges and universities, HSIs, Hispanic serving institutions, and, and the latter. We do a lot of community partnerships. So thinking about paychecks, what spaces have we never been before? How can we integrate ourselves in communities we haven't been present in? There's a lot of innovation within that strategy itself. And then I wanted to touch on our ERBGs or Employee Business Resource Group. These are employee-led groups. Basically, they, they provide forms for, you know, connection, cultural celebrations, community service, 
development, uh, you know, the advancement of our business in general and, and everything else. And so we do have newly instated ERBGs that I wanted to bring to attention, really gearing towards those who identify and are also allies of our Black and African-American employees, folks with diverse abilities, our Hispanic and Latino folks, our intergenerational folks, so bringing folks uh, together across generations, our military and veteran employees, our Asian Pacific Islander employees, those employees who are LGBTQIA+, and our uh, women-identifying employees as well. So relatively new, but really great initiatives that have been spearheaded by our um, DEI team that truly provides those inclusive spaces and trustful spaces, as I mentioned before. So uh, I'll leave it there. I mean, (laughs) incredible, incredible. Fabulous. Such, such amazing work that you and your team have been doing. And it's just a testament to how great Paychex is as a company. So we're, we're very grateful that you spent some time with us today and we're able to share such great information. I think it's going to be so helpful to our students. Thank you so, so much. Of course. It's a great time to join Paychex St. John Fisher. So yay, (laughs) we're connected. (laughs) Thank you, Ashley. Have a great day. Thank you too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This wraps up today's podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to hear from you, ideas for future topics, questions, feedback. Email us at ccap at sjf.edu. And thank you for listening. We are the Career Coaches of Fisher here for your career.